suffixing conventions and key spelling generalizations. Many teachers, including me, grew up being told that the English language was too inconsistent to be learned and just needed to be memorized. We were given a range of repetitive tasks, such as look, say, cover, write, check, to facilitate this. In modern times, it became rainbow writing. If spelling rules were discussed, it was often in the context of them not being any good because there were too many exceptions to be useful. More contemporary discussion of spelling recognises the damage done by these viewpoints and acknowledges the central role of helping students to understand why words are spelled the way they are. We need to help students build knowledge. As already mentioned in this book, words have histories. They exist in relation to the times through which they've evolved, their current context and the languages they've been influenced by. Some key points about spelling that we all need to understand are spelling and meaning remains consistent, but pronunciation often changes over time. Words may share phonic patterns, but not necessarily be connected by meaning or history. English spelling has evolved over time and has been influenced by those who committed words to paper in the past. This history and evolution may or may not be evident in the word's current use and definition. Some words are considered to be transparent. That is, the connection between the meaning of the morpheme or the meaningful parts and the current definition are really clear. Other words are opaque, where those connections are not as obvious. So, for teachers, if you come across words that you think, I mustn't be very clever because I can't make those connections, please know that that's not a fault of you. It's just the nature of how words work. The term generalizations is more helpful than the term rules as it acknowledges that there are sometimes circumstances where the exception is explained by the word's history. We may or we may not know the why of this. As already mentioned, we know the why of many words. There are still those where that knowledge eludes us. Some of the language we have traditionally used to explain spelling may not reflect a complete understanding of the reasons for particular spelling. And here I'm thinking about the term split digraph to relate to um, the long A sound where we have the vowel letter A, a consonant and an E, such as the word take or bake. Technically, split digraph is not correct. However, it's okay. As long as your terminology across your school is consistent, that's what's more important. However, do know that the letter E on the end of words can be considered a marker rather than part of a rule. And so there's more learning to do around that, but you don't need to be an expert in order to teach this well. There are a limited number of spelling generalizations and patterns that explain the spelling of a very large number of words, and suffixing conventions are an example of this. English spelling has evolved to prevent homographs, words that are spelled the same but mean different things. However, they do exist in our language. Morphology is a more consistent way to break words up for students rather than syllables. English is a stress-timed language and is not syllabic as with other languages such as Japanese or Korean. As such, the location of syllable breaks in words is often contested and may not be as useful for students to know as a focus on morphology. 
there are some key suffixing conventions, and frankly, there are three of them that are going to give us a lot of traction when it comes to spelling. The first one is doubling. So to add a vowel suffix to a word ending in a single short vowel and a single consonant, we double the consonant and add the suffix. So the word pat becomes patting and that double with a double T in the middle. There's a Y to I convention. When adding a vowel suffix to a word ending in Y, we usually change the Y to an I. So think of the word carry becoming carried. Then there are words that end in E. To add a vowel suffix to a word ending in E, we usually drop the E and add the suffix. So bake is spelled with an E, but baking is not. We drop that E and we add the ING. Once again, you do not need to know all of this by heart. Spelling Success in Action has it all built in for you. English words don't end in. Now, there are a number of letters that words in English are not permitted to end in. These are J, V, Q, I, and U. Words that do end in these letters, such as spaghetti, come from other languages or have histories that explain that word's spelling. English often deals with the issues of these letters by having alternative graphemes for the phonemes they represent or by adding another letter, often E. Previously, I mentioned that E has a lot of jobs to do. This is one of them. For example, the word love ends in the letter E so that it doesn't end in the letter V, which it's not allowed to do. The letter Y is used at the end of the word party so that it doesn't end in the letter I. The word Q ends in the letter E, as in C-U-E, to prevent it ending in the letter U, and it makes it longer. There are different types of vowels. While we don't really have short or long vowels in our speech anymore, well, we used to, but there was a shift in pronunciation called the Great Vowel Shift, and that changed how we speak. We still use the terms short vowel and long vowel to describe and identify particular vowels, and that's okay. Our dialect or the version of a language we speak influences how a vowel is pronounced. So you may say things differently from the way that I do. This is very pronounced in the United States and not so much here in Australia, but there are regional differences. We currently have a vowel shift occurring in Australia between e and a. So instead of saying Melbourne, many people are now saying Melbourne. And so being aware of this is important. This is also why morphology is central to helping us understand the full picture of how words are spelled. Remember, spelling and meaning remains consistent, but pronunciation may change. Now back to those types of vowels. We have the short vowels, a, e, i, o, a, and the long vowels, a, e, i, o, u. Technically, some of these long vowels are actually a thing called a diphthong. However, we just usually refer to them as long vowels. So this brings me to a point about correctness. Don't get so caught up in being perfectly 100% correct in every aspect of this work that it stops you from doing anything. Children will not be negatively impacted because we called a diphthong a long vowel, because that helped us to give it a category and work with it. It's going to be okay. 
teachers, are not linguists, we're not speech therapists, as long as we're not getting in the way of student learning, all will be well. We then have R-controlled vowels. I-R, E-R, and U-R all represent er. Then we have A-R, R, and O-R, or. Now, these pesky vowel digraphs, these R-controlled vowels, can be really tricky to learn. So if you have students struggling with them, just know that many people do because they sound similar and they look similar. And so that's for lots of students going to create some confusion. So try and teach them separately rather than all together. Back to the diphthongs. Now, what these are is they're sometimes called gliding vowels and they involve the tongue literally gliding to another phoneme. So that can be oi. Ow, air, and ear. They're examples of diphthongs. Again, don't worry too much about getting the categories of these vowels right. Just know that they're a thing, they exist, and follow the advice of the program you're using. In Reading Success in Action, we separate all of these out so that children are not asked to learn them at once and we support their cognitive load and their working memory. There are spelling conventions around single short vowels particularly, and let me share a few of them with you. You'll find this information on page 12 of the Spelling Success in Action book. So, suffixes. When adding a vowel suffix such as er, est, ing, or ed, the ed, to a short vowel single consonant word like pat, we double the consonant and add the suffix That gives us words like patting and swimming. The next short vowel thing to remember is there's a CK rule for spelling. So when a short vowel, a single short vowel, so that's one letter representing the short vowel, is followed by the phoneme K, the CK spelling is usually used, such as tick, tock, and tuck. There's a J spelling. And when a short vowel is followed by the sound j, the DGE spelling is usually used, bridge, fudge, ledge. There's a ch spelling convention. And when a short vowel is followed by the phoneme ch, TCH is usually used, such as hatch, dutch, and stitch. Now, there are some notable exceptions here, such as such, much, which, and rich that do not follow this convention, but it's still a pretty good one for students to know. When a short vowel is followed by the phoneme s, z, th, or ul, the consonant letter is often doubled, such as in hill, mess, and riffraff. And this is sometimes called the floss rule. Before we move on, just another couple of useful spelling conventions for you. There's a soft C. So the letter C actually doesn't have a sound of its own. It adopts the K or S depending on its use. So the letter C usually represents the phoneme S when it's followed by the letter I, E or Y, such as the word signet, cell or city. There's also a soft G. The letter G usually represents the phoneme J when it's followed by an I, E, or Y, such as gent, gym, 
and giant. The nice thing here about these soft and hard letters, and remember, this is another example of, is it really soft? Is it really hard? No, but these are just words that we use to categorize sounds so that we know what we're talking about. They have the same rule. So you can get a little rhyme up when you're teaching this to students, and it's when it's followed by an I, E, or Y. Say it again, I, E, or Y. And this helps the children to embed that into their long-term memory. Now, with this soft G, there are some notable exceptions, such as gift, girl, and get, but there is a historical reason for this, and that is because these words are Anglo-Saxon. That means that they're from a very, very, very long time ago, and they have retained their spelling over time. Spelling is usually more consistent than pronunciation. For a more in-depth explanation about English spelling conventions, I highly recommend Denise Eads uncovering the logic of English. If you want to deep dive into all the good stuff about spelling rules, inverted commons, that is the book for you. 